What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. You know, I've looked forward to this opportunity to hang here with you all, and uh, I've got a couple of thoughts for you uh, today that I think the Lord's put on my heart. But prior to that, as Nestor was saying, UI is celebrating 25 years. And uh, it's really amazing what the Lord has done through yielded, keyword, broken people. Once you embrace your great need, God says, I'm ready to use you. He doesn't need legends. He doesn't need independent people. He needs broken people that are yielded. And that, where was that most uh, example? At the cross. The brokenness Jesus went through but he was raised from the dead, and now we are raised because Christ lives in us. So when you do leave, take a moment to go out, check out the table. Uh, I did go last year, well, for two or three years I've been in the 5K. My 18-year-old daughter, Rachel, challenges me. So uh, last year, you probably didn't read this, but I finished third. Uh, in my age group, uh, I'm, right now I'm not ashamed, I'm a young 69-year-old. Uh, and uh, so Finished third, and guess what? That was great until I found out there was only three in the group. <laughs> so I was going to, I want to tell you the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help me God. And so I, yeah, I did finish last um, in that, but that's okay, isn't it? It's not about where you finish, it's how you start and fight the good fight of faith. So good, this morning, um, would you take a moment and just uh, pray with me? And if you feel so led, put your hand towards me. I'm here as a vessel, trusting the Lord will speak through me to touch your heart and to draw you closer to Him. So pray with me. Father, once again, we release this time to you. May your word go forth and accomplish your purpose. May you touch hearts. May you heal hearts. May you draw people, your people, to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I don't know about you, but when I thought about speaking today, you know, for many, many months, we've been talking about what? Revelation. And last week, we talked about recovery. And if you're honest, uh, we're all in recovery. Raise your hand. And what are we recovering from? Sin. I'm in recovery. Not alcoholic but something that would be socially acceptable, workaholic. And I'm going to tell you a little bit of my story before we go into our talk today. I'm wondering, I know Chris doesn't use a timer, but I'm wondering (laughs) if I need a timer back there. Uh, I'm probably going to talk a little shorter. Let's see where I am if the timer doesn't work. Okay, so a little bit about about my story. Um, My dad put me to work at 10 years old. And I'm grateful for that. The one thing he didn't do is we never told me when to stop. We never really celebrated. We never waited and paused. So there was a work ethic in me, and I'm grateful for it. Um, Grew up outside of Buffalo, New York. And by the way, just so Darren knows, uh, the Bills will beat the Vikings today. All right? Ooh, nothing? Okay. Uh, And and I'm not going to talk about the Dolphins. Isn't that great? Coming from Buffalo, we don't care about the Dolphins. 
And I tell Chris that I love him, but the dolphins go back in the ocean. So growing up, my dad put me to work. But in his generation, he never really spoke the word of blessing over me. But somebody did. One of the golf course at a young age of eight or nine, and the local golf pro took an interest in me and began to speak into my life. And I became, became very fixed on golf because what was I getting from the golf pro? Affirmation. My dad was there. I loved him to death. However, the affirmation. So I, I began the performance track at a young age, left when I got out of high school, went to college, University or Jacksonville University, wanted to play golf. Unfortunately, didn't know the Lord, and I'm not too excited about this, but at the end of two years at JU, they said, uh, Bill, with 1.7, you need to leave. So that's a GPA, 1.7, okay? So I left because I majored in, you can imagine what I majored in. It wasn't studies. Came to Florida, got involved, wanted to play the tour, at the age of 27, I went to work for Jack Nicholas. So knowing that, you've heard the name, still the greatest. At 27, working at Frenchman's Creek, working for Jack Nicholas, I was a legend in my own mind. I'd gotten affirmation. I was on the performance track, which sports does do, right? If I played well, I felt good about myself. If I didn't play well, I took it out on me. At the age of 20, at 30, I was looking for love in all the wrong places. Went out to dinner one night with a girl that played the LPGA Tour. At the end of dinner, she gave me her business card. It said, Proverbs 5, 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. That night, the following morning, that night I heard the gospel, the following morning went to church, came to know the Lord. Within two or three years, God convicted me, and I felt like, you know what, Lord, if you called me, and this is all about eternity, I'm going to spend my life impacting lives for eternity. And the things that really gripped me was the story of Abraham, where God tested Abraham. He tested him. He told him to take his son to sacrifice put him on the altar. But what was God really trying to do? Will you what? Obey. Will you obey? My Isaac that I had to put on the altar besides me was my golf career. And the, uh, the image, the identity, the image of acceptance that I worked on for so long, put on the altar, there was a dying process there. There was a brokenness. But in the fullness of time, Left the golf business, working at PGA National, went to work for Youth for Christ as a missionary. They offered me $16,000 a year. It wasn't the money, it was the calling. How many of you know that we're called? And today you're going to hear a little bit about calling, and you're also going to be challenged to whether or not you're listening. Left the golf business, went to work for Youth for Christ. 33 years ago, working with first-time offenders in the juvenile detention center and recovery program. Ultimately, 
led me to Tamron Avenue corridor and a heart, a father's heart broken for our young people that we serve today. After eight years with Youth for Christ, the burden to start UII with the mission right here. It's all about love, equip, and empower. And when you look at our mission, the loving love never what? Fails. Unconditional love is the most powerful thing. It's demonstrated by our staff that, can, that unconditionally loves the kids they're working with, whether they accept it, like it, or disrespect them. And then they equip them, just like Luke 2.52, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with man and God. So there's an equipping and there's an empowering to fulfill their God-given purpose. And over the years, I could go on for hours. Over the years, one of the most exciting things we've seen is generations changed by young people becoming the first Christians in their family, first person graduating from college, and the first persons, I got three right now, that own their own business. How about that? So with that, we're grateful for what God's done through Urban Youth Impact. Chris Tress has been a huge blessing. When it was time to pass the baton, which we all will in some way or another, to pass the baton to run UII, watching Chris for 20-some years sacrifice, serve, love, and be a son to me, it was a joy to be able to do that. And now today it frees me up to be able to continue on raising up next generation leaders. And we birthed the Urban Youth Legacy Foundation, which will hopefully perpetuate the legacy of urban youth until the Lord returns. Amen? Amen. So with that all said, the question I have for you today, which is kind of fun, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? And the second question would be, who likes to wait? Raise your hand if you really like to. Well, no, really? Okay, maybe you should be preaching, son. Well, I'm wondering, you know, with that said, uh, in your lifetime, you're going you're gonna to spend two years waiting in line. And you're going to spend 13 hours a year waiting on hold for customer service. That probably is longer now because of COVID. And how many of you like to wait online for customer service and you generally don't get a human being? Whew. Uh, you'll spend 32 minutes waiting in a doctor's office. And I hope and pray that he's worth waiting for. You'll spend 21 minutes, listen closely, waiting for your significant other to get ready to go out. So gentlemen, relax. Let your wife, girlfriend, get dressed. And finally, 38 hours each year waiting in traffic. But when you think about waiting, none of us want to wait. But I think a lot of you in here that have walked with the Lord for a while have learned a lot through what? Waiting. Henry Nouwen wrote a great book. It's called The Spirituality of Waiting. And there's two aspects I want to bring up to you this morning. Obviously, we're waiting. And an example of that, the people who were waiting for God in the promise of Jesus, Mary, Obviously, Mary was waiting, Elizabeth, and then Simeon and Anna who were praying. Additional people that were waiting, Mary and Martha were waiting for Jesus to come to heal Lazarus. Remember, he didn't come. And then when he did come, they accused him of being late and not caring. But I think the Lord had his timing right, even though it wasn't what Mary 
and Martha want. Besides from God teaching us and us waiting, God's waiting. The story of Jesus' death and resurrection reveals a God, the Father, who was what? Waiting. He knew it had to happen, but he had to wait. Is God waiting for you? That's what you have to search your heart today. He's called us to wait. Andrew Murray has a great quote, and I would encourage those of you that are readers, Andrew Murray, um, 18th century, 19th century missionary, pastor, has written a tremendous amount of books. But listen to what he says. Waiting on God is ascribing to him the glory of being all. It is the experiencing that he is all to us. And one example of that, of waiting, and the challenge of it, is the story of David. And looking at Psalm 13, I'm going to read it to you. And I want you to listen closely to see how it transitions. The beginning of this, and this is happening when Saul was trying to kill David. Okay? Think about that for a moment. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? Anybody wrestle with your thoughts? (laughs) How about every day? Day after day, I have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice as I fall. But verse 5 says this. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing of the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Interesting thing about the Hebrew word for wait is to look for, to hope, and expect. Waiting. Are you waiting? Are you looking for? Are you hoping? Are you expecting? Or are you overwhelmed with your current circumstances and maybe the emotions? We're going to look at some other verses here that you can write down. David again in Psalm 62, 1. For the Lord alone my soul waits in silence. Just think for a moment. Soul is our mind, our will, our emotions. Okay? Soul, our mind, thinking, will, our intentions, emotions. My soul waits in silence. As I've talked with people that have walked with the Lord for a long time, and I, I would kind of say I'm part of that, they have told me that in silence and waiting, their soul is restored. He goes on to say, from him comes my salvation. As I wait in silent, from him, the Lord, comes my salvation. And the Hebrew word for salvation there is, from him comes deliverance, help, victory, and prosperity. How many of you love the Psalms? I would encourage you. It's phenomenal therapy. Phenomenal therapy. You hear about a man running, anointed at a young age, running to be killed, complaining, arguing with the Lord. But in Psalm 130, he says, I wait for the Lord. I expectantly wait. What are you expectantly waiting for? In his word, 
I hope. Are you hoping in his word or are you hoping that your mate will change? Psalm 5, 3. In the morning, Lord, hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my requests before you and I wait patiently. There's a great word, patiently. We're going to get to that in a moment. And then also in Isaiah 64, since ancient times no one has heard, no ear is perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you, listen closely, who works on behalf of those who wait for him. Who works on behalf of those who wait for him. I'm a go-getter. I want to get it done. And it's gotten me into many problems over the years. And the Lord has apprehended me in love. My soul is waiting for the Lord reverberates through all of the Hebrew Scripture. Waiting is part of life and one of God's tools for developing people. Think about that. Waiting is one of God's tools for developing people. How many of you have experienced that? It's tough. All right, let's look at four reasons why God makes us wait. Waiting reveals our true motives. It brings out the best and the worst. Waiting has a way of bringing out the best and the worst in people. People who don't have good motives won't wait long because they're not interested in the commitment it takes to see something through. They're too interested in short-term gains or success. You could preach on that for a long time. Most of us have good intentions, but a lot of what we want to accomplish is an attempt to make the name for ourselves or our egos. It hurts to say it, but it's true. I'll give you a personal example in my own life. When we started Earth Impact, uh, it began to grow. We started out in an office of um, 800 square feet. Then we went to an office across the street of 3,300 square feet. And then we had a deal going with the city to get property on Tamron. We had a local county commissioner verbally commit a million, a donor, two million. I'm sitting here saying, this is great. We're working with the city. We're going to get land. We got the money. After about a year of negotiating, the final time came sitting in the city office, and a gentleman came in the room, and he said, look it, you can't build there. There's a 60-inch water main. And I'm thinking to myself, where have you been in the last year? We couldn't build there. Once that happened, the million dollars and the $2 million vanished, and all of a sudden it was gone. And the Lord spoke clearly to me, Bill, is this about you and your ministry and your ego? We all want to be approved. And sometimes success, we think, is going to affirm us. You know what affirms us? Faithfulness. I wept that day when I had to look in the mirror and recognize, Lord, this is your ministry. These type of situations will continue the rest of your life. God's looking at, he knows your motive. If you deal with it, and you'll have a chance at the end of the service, 
He forgives you, and you move on, right? Then he can build on a firm foundation. He's not going to burn on a foundation when our motives are impure because he loves you, just like I'm not going to give Rachel a car at nine, even though I love her. David said this in Psalm 139 about his heart. 139.23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. See, test me, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any grievous way in me, and lead me in your way everlasting. He continually does that. Lord, search me and know my heart. I want to encourage all of you, daily, lay that before the Lord. Because we know the heart is what? Deceitfully wicked beyond all things. Who can know it? Proverbs 4.23 says the same thing. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows out of it. And then you're familiar with this verse, but I like it in the Amplified, Jeremiah 17.9. The heart is deceitful above all things. It is incurable, extremely sick. Who can understand it fully and know its secret motives? And as many of you know, heard this verse, and you've probably seen it demonstrated when you listen to what people say, Matthew 12, 32, out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. And as we listen closely to what we say, what other people say, it gives evidence to what? The heart. So number one, we look at waiting reveals our true motives. Number two, waiting builds patience. I have been tested the last couple of years with the process the Lord has exposed impatience in my life. I've got over 90 verses at home on waiting. I'm still learning. When I read this, it touched me. The Latin word for patience is suffering. Have any of you had any suffering as you've waited or been impatient? But listen to this. Hebrews 6, 12. Through faith and patience, we shall inherit the promises of God. Patience and mindfulness focuses on the life in the moment rather than the agenda in your heart. Boy, I've had to learn that so many times in my relationship with my wonderful wife, Carrie, who couldn't be here 38 years. Being patient and listening many times exposed, I got an agenda in my heart. Why isn't she doing what I think she should do. Am I going to be patient? A patient person, a waiting person is a patient person. The word patience means the willingness to stay where you are, live in the situation out to the full in belief that something hidden will manifest. And Henry Nouwen, anybody read Henry Nouwen? Another great author? Encourage you. I was introduced to Henry Nouwen 30 years ago. Impatient people are always expecting the real thing to happen somewhere else. And therefore, they want to go elsewhere. The moment is empty, but the patient people choose to stay where they are. Patient living means to live actively in the present and wait there. Amen? Are you patient? I've been told if you're not patient, you may become a patient. Number three, waiting transforms our character. 
Some great examples I'm sure you've read in the Old Testament. David was anointed king at 13. He became king at 33. Could you imagine somebody laying hands on you and anointing you to do something, and within 10 years somebody's trying to kill you? Do you think God had a purpose in all that? He was perfecting. He was purifying. He was testing. Moses, we know he took into his own hands what needed to be done, killed the guard, and then he hid the body. And then he went out into the desert taking care of what? Sheep. Forty years taking care of sheep. I don't know where you're at, but you may be in a place you don't want to be. You may be serving. I'm too good for this. You may be in a place in a relationship. Why is this happening to me? Through faith and patience, we shall inherit the promises of God. Joseph had a dream. How does family treat him? Not too well. Sold him, dumped him in a hole. He ultimately then tried to do good, went to jail. That sounds exciting. And then he became what? Number two. God honored him through all he went through. Abraham, we talked earlier about Abraham. Abraham was tested. God tested him. He had to wait. Abraham got in the flesh. Try. Tried to do it his own way until he waited upon God. Number four, as we look at patience, we, as we look at waiting, waiting builds intimacy and dependence. Keep an eye on my time here. Great, when, great men and women of God have learned their success in life is directly proportionate to their intimacy and dependence on God. We may not always understand why we have to wait, but the good news is that God never asks us to wait without Him. Amen? I have grown over the years as I've waited on the Lord. Many times the waiting is in silence that I've felt like I've drawn closer to Him. Psalm 62.5, David once again, as Saul is chasing him, for the Lord... God alone is my soul waits in silence and quietly submits to him for my hope and expectation comes from him. Listen to that for a moment. Sitting alone in silence, submitting to the Lord. He said, my hope and expectation comes from him. Not your circumstances, not your roommate, not your wife or your husband. My hope and expectation comes from Him, our everlasting Father. As we begin to look at the final part here, three keys to waiting well. Let me ask you a question for a moment. Are you learning anything? Amen. Three keys to waiting well. We're going to look in a moment here at Hebrews chapter 12. Focus on the person of your faith, not the object of your weight. Focus on the person of your faith, which is who? Jesus. Not the object of your weight. How many in this room are waiting for somebody to change? Can you get honest for a moment? Okay. Or, or you're waiting on the condo. You're waiting on college. You're waiting on whatever, the car. Focus on the person of your faith, not the object of your weight. 
Listen to Hebrews. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the Father. As we run this race with perseverance, our faith and our hope needs to be on who? Jesus. Second key to waiting well. Let me share this one quote with you before we do that. Once again, as we look at Andrew Murray, another great quote, waiting captures a prayerful posture of our spirits of purposeful attentiveness towards God. Looking to Him, longing for Him, we wait upon Him. Not for what we hope to receive, but because of who He is. God is worthy to be waited on. Whether or not we hear anything, whether or not we see anything, whether or not our dreams are fulfilled. As we're waiting upon the Lord, does He know you're waiting? He sees. He knows. He knits you together in His mother's womb. He knows when you rise, when you sit down. His right hand is upon you. There's an intimacy as we understand the Father's love for us. And as we wait, He can see we're purposely looking to Him. The next thing, do the next thing as we're waiting. Key point here, I've learned this over the years. Whoever can be trusted with a little can also be trusted with much. Do in your walk of waiting, do the next thing. Don't wait. We walk by what? Faith, not by sight. And a great illustration by that, we know that thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So as we're waiting and we're doing the next thing, think with me for a moment here. Pretend I have a lamp, okay? It's dark in here. I have a lamp to my feet, okay? How does the, how does the path get lit? Thy word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. We walk by faith, not by sight. So don't be waiting. You, you step in faith. The lamp to my feet, a light to my path. We walk by faith, not by sight. I have seen amazing things over the years with Urban Youth Impact. When we started, a first-year budget was $60,000. And my wife didn't get paid. She served and sacrificed. But we continued to walk by faith. And we saw him provide. And this is just to give you an idea. After 25 years, when you go out, I want you to look at the table. There's some things there. After 25 years, because I believe we've been faithful, Chris, the team, our budget this year is $3.4 million. Okay? I'm not bragging, but I'm telling you that God will give you more as you're faithful with what you have in your hands. Amen? So finally, as we look at keys to waiting, we talked about pers- the person of your faith, not the object of your weight. Do the next thing. And finally, we want to practice gratitude. You're very familiar, I'm sure, with the, with the verse 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Be thankful. Does it say for all things? No. Be thankful what? 
in all things, all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will. Your circumstance that you're in is not by chance. God's not wondering, how did that happen? I missed that one. Be thankful as, you're, as a believer. Now, if you're not a believer, you've got to know the whole story. If today you're here because you have to be here or you're playing church, you're waiting for, is it time to go yet? That's a other ball game. And you're going to have a chance because your everlasting Father is waiting for you. One of the verses that's been very powerful for me as we talk about waiting, I know many of you know the verse, but I want you to hear it um, from the Amplified, Isaiah 40, 31. Those that wait upon the Lord and the Amplified amplifies the Hebrew. Those that wait upon the Lord, who expect, look for, and hope in Him, will gain new strength and renew their power. Here's the key verse. They will lift up their wings and rise up close to God. Like eagles. I didn't realize this, but over four or five years ago, a good friend of mine challenged me, and he said, Bill, when you look at this verse, Eagles, when they, eagles can look down from a mile to two into the water and see fish. As you wait upon the Lord, He'll renew your strength. You will mount up with wings like eagles. As we wait upon the Lord, we're not going to be looking at the circumstance here. I'm looking at it here. He brings you up out of the circumstance. You rise up with wings like eagles. As we wait, we begin to see it, and you go, wow, that's what God was doing. How many of that said it happened? I didn't understand it. Why the heck is he doing that? Because as you wait, he's orchestrating what needs to be done. Powerful verse that uh, has helped me in so many ways being an impatient man at times, wanting to get things done. I've been exposed the last couple of years with great impatience, which is it's kind of like, come on, this is ABCs. I mean, impatience, why, why are you, I'm in a hurry. I want to get it done. And I'm not going to blame anything, but how's the traffic these days? Do you ever get to a light and it's green and the person in front of you doesn't move? What are they doing? And so the waiting, waiting, my daughter's a freshman at PBA. I love her. I'm learning to wait, to let her learn experiences from life. Does dad want to fix them? Yeah. Does she have to stumble and fall? Yeah. So we're going to transition now towards our end of our time. And I want, you to I want you to listen to a great quote. And then I've got a real special song for you before the worship team comes. The Bible has a great deal to say about waiting for God. And teaching cannot be too strongly emphasized. We so easily become impatient with God's delays. Yet much of the trouble in life 
is a result of our restlessness and haste. We cannot wait for the fruit to ripen, but insist on picking it while it's still green. We cannot wait for the answer to our prayers, although it may take many years for things we pray for to be prepared for us. Pause for a moment there. Carrie and I, my wife Carrie and I, waited 20 years for children. We're encouraged to walk with God, but often God walks very slowly. Yet, there's also another side to this teaching. God is often waiting for us. And as we close, I believe he's waiting for you. Because he knows your story. I don't know it. Maybe something resonated with you today. But God knows your story. And uh, he's here for you. In a moment, we're going to play our song. I'm going to have the worship team come. And I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to be up here, but more importantly, your father's waiting. So as you listen to the song and reflect on your own life, I want to encourage you to come forward. We'll pray for you as the Lord touches your heart. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.